taking a short break, as you can see, from our uh, series in Ephesians. We'll return to that next week. But for today, uh, a scripture that gives a lot of possibility to consider the value of life. You heard that word a couple of uh, different times, even in the handful of verses uh, that I read. Uh, title for today will guide us as we go along, choosing life in all of life. Sometimes we think of life narrowly. And so as I start out today, uh, I'm going to put a picture up and I'm going to challenge you as you look at that picture to see if you can figure out what it is. It's zoomed in, and your challenge is to see if you can figure out what this picture is. Now, if you know what it is, don't ruin it, and don't shout it out for everybody else. Don't do that. All right, just keep it to your answer, or if you really want to feel good about yourself, you can nudge somebody next to you. Say, All right, I know what it is. All right, you can do that, but don't blurt it out. Here we go. Now, the site I found this on had about seven seconds. If you get it by now, anybody know it? Okay, I got one. Thinks they know it. Here's another one. A little bit farther out. Does that help you? So the site I was on, you would have got two points for about the first seven seconds, and you get one point for knowing it now. Does anybody know it after seeing the second photo? Okay, another, another one. Nobody else? I was in on the second for a couple others. Ready? Here we go. Boom. It's a tennis ball. All the way back. Now you go, oh, I knew that. <laughs> right? Now you're sitting there going, I knew that. I had that. I thought it was a tennis ball. All right? That one helped me out. That's where I got it. And there's the ball. Now, our sermon isn't about tennis today, I promise. But it's sometimes, it, it, I do want you to get that idea in mind that sometimes we really zoom in on things and we miss the bigger picture. I think when we think about the value of life, we can really narrow in and we can make life about one little thing in our heart and we miss all these other ways in which we should be understanding life and all these other avenues to obey and to relate to God when we think about the sanctity of human life. And so I hope by the time that we're done today, you're seeing the tennis ball and not just the narrow spot of the tennis ball, all right? That's the illustration. If it doesn't work for you, I apologize, but that's the idea. All right, this starts off really simple. Simple commands. I'm not going to belabor these first couple of points. Uh, in verse 15, I've set before you today life and good, death and evil. evil uh, God sets the options before us. It's very straightforward. Life and death, good and evil. The question is, do we want to live God's way or do we not? That's the question Moses is posing here at the end of Deuteronomy uh, to the people. Uh, you, do you want uh, God's ways uh, or, or do you not? You have his law. Do you want to live in it and abide by it or do you not? Uh, this is very... <laughs> similar to the way we see options presented throughout the Bible. God wants us to be in relationship with him, and he gives options. I want you to see here, uh, this just reminded me of Genesis chapter 2. Look, the, the, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And what? The Lord God commanded man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Right, here's an option. 
You can walk in, in faith and obedience and, and uh, obey God by eating everything from every other tree but that one, or you can eat from that one and bring about death. Right? Simple options. We know how that worked out. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't do what they were commanded to do. They took the bad option. But it's the idea that God does this. You're going to see other options uh, as we go along today. But God has specific ways uh, that he intends for humans to flourish. Part of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday is understanding that God has special plans for humans, for human relationships that makes us stand apart from the rest of the created order. He desires that we relate to him in ways that are helpful and healthy and obedient, and he, desi he desires that in ways that set humans apart from the rest of the created order. So he, he sets options uh, before us. The commands uh, that he gives are within reach. All right, so you may think uh, today... Uh, life and good, death and evil. Uh, you may think, hey, how do I do that? Is this really overwhelming? Uh, I want to go back. Uh, just a few verses. You may wonder why I didn't uh, have 11 through 14. I just wanted to go back. I want you to kind of see this. It is not impossible to understand how to follow God. <laughs> Humans have the capability to interact with what God lays out and to respond. And these verses right before our passage today, they show us that. It's not too hard for you. It's not so far off. You don't have to get on a spaceship and go to heaven to try to figure out what God wants. You, you couldn't if you wanted to. You don't have to do that. It's not that far off. It's not beyond the sea. You don't have to build a boat and go figure out how to follow God and travel a whole bunch of way to to figure out what he wants to do. It's not so far off that you can't. No, it's, it's within your grasp. The word is very near you, in your mouth and in your heart, so that you can do it. And I want to encourage you with this today. Sometimes uh, the Bible, uh, we have to put some work. We have to be challenged. We have to, um, to study. Uh, but for the most part, as we're interacting with God, he, he makes things plain in a way that is not so far away that we can't grasp it. It's not so difficult that we can't understand. We can hear basic options, and we can know uh, the consequence, and, and we can decide, are we going to respond? This is the way God wants us to, to relate to him. It's not so complicated that humans can't understand what he desires and enter into relationship with him. So those are our simple commands. Uh, he sets out the options, and the commands are within reach. All right, let's look at the consequence. Uh, obviously, if you paid attention as I read those verses, or you're still in your Bible, or you're still scrolling, you're going you're gonna to look at verse uh, 16. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. Simple consequence. If we choose life and we obey what God says, we will obey and we will flourish. You shall live and multiply. The Lord will bless you in the land you are entering to take possession of it. We obey and we flourish. God's structure for our lives, I want us to think about this, 
So many times we see rules as inhibiting. I want you to see when it comes to the challenge to walk in obedience to God as life-giving. It's exciting to obey God. It's never designed to be, oh man, this is such a drag. God, the big cosmic parent all the way out there in the stratosphere somewhere, speaking all this stuff into my life, taking away my freedom, making it such a drag to try to follow him. No, not that way at all. It's designed for us to enter in into a space where we're protected, where we know his word, where we can obey it, where uh, we're in his love, we understand his approach to us, that he can forgive us, we know we're not perfect, we come into that relationship, and he designs it so that if we walk in that obedience and we continually are growing and learning how to do that, that we will flourish. That was the same promise he gives to the Israelites right here at the end of Deuteronomy. You obey you take the laws that you know and that you heard and you put them into practice and you'll flourish. And there were seasons where the Israelites flourished because they were doing exactly that. Obey and you flourish. There's a spot in the Gospels that is curious. You'll, you'll see a couple different times uh, in the writings of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John who, who uh, hundreds of years later after these events in Deuteronomy... Uh, they interacted with the events of Jesus. Uh, so at the right time, God sends his son Jesus to earth. And the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, tell us the story of who he was, how he lived, what he taught. And uh, one of the curious parts for me is how Jesus talks about rules. The Sabbath is one of the rules. They were supposed to take a complete day of rest. And some of the teachers of the Jews at that point had made the Sabbath so burdensome that... <laughs> It was not even a joy for them to rest. They had added all these other rules to it, and they were it just kind of sucked the joy out of finding rest in the Sabbath and honoring the Lord. And so Jesus, in this very simple statement, says to them, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. This is after he healed somebody on the Sabbath, and everybody wigs out because you're not supposed to work on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to do anything. And instead of seeing the greater good that Jesus had just healed somebody, they're all, they're all upset because Jesus had actually worked on the Sabbath, which is what you're not supposed to do. All right, so, so let's be people who, who see God's rules and his structure, not to constrict us and not to add a whole bunch of rules and make everything miserable, but to find joy and obedience and flourishing. Sanctity of human life isn't to be a drag. It's so we can find flourishing in who God is and what he wants for us as we seek to walk in obedience. Now, sounds great. I hope you think that sounds great. To me, it sounds great. But there's an opposite consequence. We see in 17 and 18, if your heart turns away and you will not hear but are drawn away to worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are going over to the Jordan to enter and possess. Go ahead. Disobey, turn away, go worship the false gods that are in the land, the other ones that, that didn't bring you out of Egypt by a mighty hand, and, and go in, in, and try to find all, everything you want in convenience and short term and worship those gods and, and try to have an image of it and a little god up on your shelf and turn to that. Go ahead and turn that and see how it works out. Go ahead. Disobey is what God is saying. You have the choice to to choose life and to be obedient to God, you have the choice to turn away and disobey. But you see the consequence. The, the, the consequence 
is perishing. Go back to 15. I've said before you today, life and good, death and evil. If we turn away, we perish. God is a God, when it comes to communicating what he wants, the stakes are high. Uh, I read from Genesis 2 earlier, the stakes were high. If they didn't do what God said they were going to do, they would, they would die. Adam and Eve eventually died because they committed that sin. They weren't designed to die. They were designed to live forever. They sinned against God, and they died. God is a God of high stakes. It's not just a simple choice. Everybody can do whatever they want, and God works it all out for everyone in the end. I wish I could tell you it was. We see disobedience clearly leading to perishing. If these group of people would go into the promised land and turn their back on God, they would perish. And over time, throughout seasons of disobedience, we saw perishing. And over time, they didn't fulfill the law and weren't able to walk in obedience, and they perished from the land. It's what we saw happen. John 3.16 is a verse in the New Testament where Jesus encourages us to believe in him. Because God has loved this world so much that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Does everybody get eternal life because of John 3.16? No. Those who believe are prevented from perishing. Jesus makes it clear. Those who don't trust in him, those who do not believe in who he was, his life, his death, his resurrection, will perish and be separated from God for eternity. Hell. It's disobedience. The stakes are high. They're high for us in New Testament times as we understand who Jesus was and what he taught. They're high for the Israelites going into the promised land. The earthly perspective of humanity, one that's not sanctified, is that we can just put kind of ourselves in the middle of the world. We're pretty important, or some people would think that they're pretty important, talk themselves into believing they're pretty important. And we'll make laws and we'll make policies and we'll do all this kind of stuff and, and we'll just kind of go on. We, we're pretty good because we're us. We're all right, aren't we? Often we sort of think in terms of anything. This go, we don't think of anything going on between God and humans. Sometimes we just think about today and the immediate or consequence of today. But God gives a simple choice with simple consequences. The stakes are high. Consider, what if this is right? What happens if we don't choose life? What happens if we disobey? In the immediate context, they wouldn't do well in the land. They would perish instead. For us, understanding the fullness of God's plans through Christ, John 3.16 makes it clear. We believe and we have eternal life. We don't believe and we don't have eternal life. Now, you may be thinking in a couple of ways at this point. You say, you know what, I've been in church. I've believed in Jesus for a long time. I know all this stuff. I trust God. I trust Jesus. I'm trying to walk in right relationship. You may say, hey, I understand the whole relationship with God. I, I get it. 
Or maybe you're more questioning, you're trying to figure some of this stuff out, you're skeptical, and you're thinking, this is a typical sermon where somebody takes a passage from the Bible and tries to threaten me into, into, into obeying God. You might think that, hey, this is a typical language I would hear coming from some religious people where God is worth following and he's not worth disobeying and you better be afraid. I want to spend some time on this today. I want you to think hard as we get into our last point for today. I want you to put some energy into this. Is there a God who loves his creation so much that he desires our flourishing? Or is he just a mean God who kind of created everything and, and, and relishes it when we fail and decide, hey, you should probably just try to come back to me on your own strength? All right, do some hard work on this. Do some thinking today. I want to encourage you. Do we view our life and growth from the perspective of our relationship with God or do we view life and growth in other ways? Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's educational. Maybe it's some status. Maybe it's some achievement. Maybe it's something that we're pursuing. We can find all kinds of ways to think about life and growth. But I want us to, to think about the way God brings this challenge to them. And I want us to hear this morning a couple of, a couple of ideas that will get us thinking about how the challenge can apply to us. It's a simple challenge. He calls heaven and earth, in verse 19, to witness against them. He says that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Therefore, choose life that you and your offspring may live. And the first thing we find out here is that heaven witnesses against us. We're going we're gonna to hear this call today to obey. We're going to hear this call to surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and to do what John 3.16 says and to believe in him and to trust that he was the son of God who came to this earth and who died in our place for the forgiveness of our sin that we could never accomplish on our own. And it says, heaven, I call heaven and earth to witness against us. I'm going to assume that most of us know earth witnesses. <laughs> People can see. But let's, let's take that up where God starts the sentence in heaven. Heaven witnesses. Heaven is aware of what is going on with us and with you and me as individuals. God is aware of that. It's a simple challenge, but, but we don't want to operate in our own thinking. Let's compare our thinking to God's thinking and see what heaven thinks of how we think, especially when it comes to life. Their behavior simply wouldn't be about themselves it was a group of people. It wasn't just about what the other nations would think of them. It was about how they were going to relate to God. So as we think about this today, I want to make a specific argument for this special relationship that humans have with God, that he has created us, that he desires relationship with us. That he desires our obedience in that relationship. That we can't just say, I don't want to go to hell. I'd rather just go to heaven. And Jesus, I believe you. I want to tell you, if we're not planning on repenting, if we're not planning on turning away from our sin and putting full trust and giving up full control in our life, then we're not fully believing. God is calling for our obedience. He wants us to have a mindset that we're ready to follow him no matter what. 
Nothing but that kind of belief will change us. All right, so I want to make an argument today for that special relationship. Animals cannot have this. There is something about humans that God wants us to be in that relationship with him. But as we evaluate that relationship, and believe me, God is so loving that he wants to call every one of us into that. Respond to that if you haven't, please. But know that we are in a society that is not friendly to the beliefs we have about how to flourish and how to thrive. We live in a society that often is not friendly to advice about life and death. Dawn shared this morning how the client became angry to hear about Jesus in a difficult pregnancy situation. I want to prepare us, our world, our nation. We need to be aware that it is a culture that is exceedingly, increasingly opposed to life and flourishing. I want to read a story from a nurse in California. One night, a nurse on my shift came up to me and said, Jennifer, you need to see the Garcia baby. There was something suspicious about the way she said it. She led me to a room the nurses used for their breaks. Women were smoking and drinking coffee their feet up on the stainless steel counter. And there, lying on the metal, was the naked body of a newborn baby. What is the baby doing here on this counter, I asked timidly. That's a preemie born at 19 weeks, she said. We don't do anything to save them unless they're 20 weeks. I noticed the chest fluttering rapidly. I picked him up for a closer look. This baby is alive, I exclaimed thought they hadn't noticed. Then I learned the horrible truth. The nurses knew and had tossed him on the cold steel counter in the lunchroom. I did the one thing I could think of. I held him in the last moment so he'd have some warmth and love before he died. Now you might think this is something that happened uh, last week uh, by my best uh, research and the source where I pulled this from. This happened in the late 1990s. I don't want to say this goes on in every hospital across the nation. I don't want to lift one story out of an article and, and cast that sort of an attitude uh, and that sort of practice over every person who practices medicine. I don't mean to do that at all. I mean for us to say heaven witness against us if we don't stand for life. God values our life. I want us to hear the words from Deuteronomy 30, and I want it to thunder, and I want it to echo in our hearts. Are we going to be people who choose life? And here's the challenge. Are we going to choose life in the narrow fuzz on the tennis ball? Like, it's easy to choose life if all we want to do is, is vote about life. It's easy to choose life. There's not a whole lot of consequence. The curtain's pulled. Nobody really knows that we do it. But what if we want to come out and publicly say, I am opposed to things that diminish and devalue life. I'm, I'm opposed to the taking of innocent life. 
I want to advocate for the best situation for life or for children. You come out and you say specific things and you stand in support and you give your money or your time. And there's greater sacrifice when we do these things. Then we're, we're zooming out. Because choosing life, let's remember, it brings obedience and it sets us in God's promises. It's not just a vote or a few bucks here and there or a bumper sticker. Yes, it is about a 19-year-old baby in Los Angeles in the 1990s. Yes, it's about 28 years of Roe versus Wade and 60-plus million lives lost to abortion. Yes, life is about those things. But it's also about ending life early. We will be conditioned by other nations in the world who are taking steps and have been taking steps to allow for the early end of life. Pre-war Germany. You might think the ending of life prematurely is a recent thing. Pre-war Germany, 275,000 people with mental and phys physical handicaps were put to death. These values are a part of our world systems. Obedience and affirming a relationship with God and a special creation demands that we care. It demands that we care about all of this and life. Do you know there are differences in, in uh, Christian, some Christians' uh, viewpoints on life care for, for women who are pregnant, whether those women are here in our country legally or illegally? Do you know some people have a difference in their opinion about the care a pregnant woman should conceive whether they're here legally or not? Please don't be one of those Christians. Let's care about life. All of life, not the narrow way for legal immigrants, for illegal immigrants. It involves how we view the disadvantaged, the orphan, the widow. It involves just laws, valuing life, increases to holding police accountable when they deny policy and cost people lives. You go and stand in that space and say, I think good policy can protect lives. And you're going to get feed brushback. You're going to get people who oppose you. That's what's going to happen. Satan hates life. He hates when we advocate for life. He hates when we speak true things about life. And my goal is not to overwhelm you today. God loves us. He's with us. If your heart is stirring, know that God loves you and he wants you to choose life. My goal is not to induce depression in you today. Oh, it's, it's so hopeless. It's so overwhelming. No, I don't want to do that. If you have devalued life, if you've acted or spoken in ways that suggest one life is worth uh, more than another, uh, you're not beyond the help of the hope of God. You're not. He can forgive you. If we have put our own lives at risk or in danger by doing stupid things, by sinning against God, he can forgive us. That's the hope of who God is. i got to tell you this story. Uh, I made the outline for this message on Wednesday morning. And I did it before anybody was up. I had some quiet moments. And I'm on my couch. I'm hammering out the outline. I get done with the outline. And our youngest uh, is, uh, wants to, I say, hey, you, do you want to eat something? And so we go over to the cabinet where the cereal is. And this is a cereal options. Not the best, I admit. Don't judge me. All right. But you want to you know 
which one she picked right after I made the outline for this. She doesn't even like it. She left the whole bowl sitting there. <laughs> I was like, God, thank you. Uh, don't you love it sometimes when it, this isn't biblical, okay? This is not supernatural. Sometimes God just throws you a bone, all right? He just throws you a bone and gives you an illustration that is very simple and very lighthearted. And I was like, you know what, God, thank you. I snapped a picture of that, and I was like, I'm going to use that on Sunday. And she had no clue that I was going to use that. You don't have to pick a box of cereal to be flourishing than God. But, but if we've been all about ourselves and we've been opposed to life, we do need to repent. We do need to turn to Jesus with a completely changed mind. We do need to choose life in all of life. We need to intervene. Despite somebody's position or their decisions or their sins or whatever we think is wrong, uh, just like Jesus does for all of us. He loves us even though he knows what is wrong with all of us and where we fall short. He loves us and he wants to forgive us. We need to do the same in choosing life in all of life. We want to be obedient to God's commands. We want to be obedient to his word. It will put us in a right relationship. Verse 20 uh, the, the land was promised to the Israelites hundreds of years before any of this was written. God spoke to Abraham and said, I'm going to set aside for you a land. And so <laughs> what God is saying is, hey, stay within my promises, stay obedient. It's the same for us. We will stay within the promises of God given to us by Jesus Christ if we will turn and we will help others do the same thing. In choosing life, we advocate for life in so many ways. I want you to have that zoomed out, big view of choosing life today in all of life. Maybe it's the first step. Maybe it's a baby step. Maybe it's a time step, a money step, a prayer step. There are all kinds of steps we can continue to take to advocate for life. Life on this earth, the value of God and his relationship with us, and for people to have eternal life by sharing the truth of who Jesus is and how we believe in him.